This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, and I am bouncing out of my seat today because I'm so excited. I'm excited about our program today, but then also three different genres of monumental information is coming out today on uh, August 8th, 2023. Um, Notifications of verified fan codes will be sent out for Taylor Swift concert, New York, New Orleans concert tickets. Um, There's a $1,550,000,000 might be won this evening by someone in the Mega Millions drawing. But the event that will affect 100% of Mississippians It's primary election day for all the state offices, so may the odds be ever in your favor for everything. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Well, good morning, Liz. I hope you're doing well, and and I do hope people vote in the primary elections because it's the local elections and statewide elections that have the greatest impact on our lives, as you mentioned. And, and, you know, but today we are just thrilled about the show that we have. uh, Ole Miss has been a leader in air and space law for decades, and we're fortunate to have an outstanding LLM program. That's a master's of law program, and lawyers get our master's after we get our doctorate degree. It's an interesting progression um, in air and space law. And, and the program and the Center for Air and Space Law is flourishing under the direction of my colleagues, Professor Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler. So I'm thrilled to welcome them back to the show. Uh, good morning, Professor Hanlon and Professor Stotler. Uh, would you please tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and your work with the center? Hey, Richard. Uh, Liz, it's so great to be here. Thanks. This is Michelle Hanlon. And on top of everything else, it's my birthday today. Um, I am turning 58, and I say that because I earned my LLM in air and space law when I was 50. So anybody out there who's at remotely interested in either drone law or air law or space law. I don't care how old you are, get back into school and learn, earn that LLM, earn that graduate certificate program, uh, because it's it's just a ton of fun. And, uh, and we need more and more people to be involved in air and space law because uh, space affects everybody, right? Drones affect everybody, um, and these are the these are the instruments, the tools that are going to build our economy and build our future. Um, drones, obviously, you know, you probably think about them as annoying things in your backyard, but they are delivering um, healthcare goods, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, prescriptions all across the world. They're bringing, they're having a huge role in the in the war in the Ukraine, um, and that's something you know, it, good or bad. That's something we need to start talking about and of course everything we do on earth is affected by something that's going on in space and so um, I know I am really excited to be here I'm gonna, I'm gonna let uh, I, I talk a lot so I'm gonna let uh, Charles talk now because um, because I know he's equally excited to be here as well 
Indeed, I am. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning, everybody. This is Charles Stotler speaking. Thank you again to MTV and to Richard and to Liz for having us on. Um, and I, I just want to iterate my equal excitement. It's it's such an exciting time to be involved in aviation and space issues, particularly because of things like drones. The amazing economic opportunity they're opening up across the board for for uh, for people at local, state, and national and even international levels. Um, and the same is true of space. You know, the, the, the massive commercialization that's been going on over the past 20 years um, has really opened up avenues for lots of uh, interesting new economic activity and created, as you know, Michelle mentioned, drones for the war in Ukraine. Space has been um, integral to that effort as well. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I'm super excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Well, it's great to have you both. And, um, and, you know, it's all, we always have uh, fun conversations when you're here and we learn so much. And Professor Hanlon, you're, you're the president and co-founder of For All Moonkind. Uh, would you please tell us about that organization and its goals? Absolutely. Thank you. The For All Mankind is the only organization in the world that's focused on protecting cultural heritage in outer space. And everyone sort of thinks that's kind of weird because we haven't been in space long enough to really have cultural heritage. But if you think about that very first moon landing, and we just we just celebrated the um, the return of the the uh, anniversary of the return of Apollo 15 yesterday. Um, but think about uh, Neil Armstrong. Think about how you personally were affected by the Apollo program, whether you lived through it or whether you read about it in your school books, um, those sites up there, the Apollo sites and also sites from other countries around the world are still there on the moon and they're pristine and they're um, untouched by anything. There's no weather on the moon. And so we have a really unique opportunity to protect those and save those for all humanity so that maybe I won't get to the moon, maybe you won't get to the moon, but your children or your grandchildren will get to the moon and be able to see that boot print and be in inspired by it and understand that humans can do anything. We're trying to protect humanity's greatest technical, technological achievements so far, and that's really important for our future because everything we do, um, we need to remember our history, and being protecting that history is really important. Um, and again, that's something we do on Earth all the time, right? Um, we protect the pyramids of Egypt. We're going to have a memorial for Emmett Till, a uh, federal memorial. So these are things that are really integral to who we are, and that's something we want to make sure we keep even as some of us go into space and that's so important because some of the monuments on, on earth have been so affected by human interaction that that they're they've almost been destroyed and so uh, your, your efforts will try to protect those those important monuments on on, on the moon Absolutely. And, and to recognize everybody, everybody who contributed in some way. And, and I like to say, um, when you look up at the moon, you know, everybody in our entire human history has looked up at that same moon. Um, and throughout millennia of human evolution, we've looked up and been inspired by it. And then we actually reached it probably 50 years before we should have, right? Because we haven't been back in more than 50 years. And that is an incredible achievement that just a testament to what humanity can do. And that's that's what we want to take away from it. Well, our focus on the show today is primarily going to be on drones and, and maybe some UAPs as well. Um, but why is space law important to Mississippians? I mean, people think, well, space law, you know, but why is that important to people in Mississippi? Because space is important to everybody in the world. I mean, when you think about when you look up in the when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? You're going to look at the weather. You're going to get your news. All of that is happening because of an interaction with space. And not only that, when we think about our Earth, and I want to take you back again in time. You know, when when you think about um, 
what you do when you're running out of resources on your island or where you are. You go out and you explore and you look for more. You find ways to sustain yourself. Um, we've reached the point where we need to sustain ourselves from space. And Mississippi is well poised to take advantage of that. Um, Mississippi is the home of Stennis, which can be, um, we're, we're looking to um, get the federal government to allow us to repurpose that for a lot of, um, of different industries. And so we're looking to bring commercial industry into Mississippi to, to support space. And so hopefully um, everybody will be able to be involved somehow in the space economy. I also love, and we'll talk about it soon, Raspit always says, um, every plane made in the United States has a piece made in Mississippi in it. Um, you know, we are, Mississippi has always been um, integral to aviation and space, and it's time that we stood up and recognized that. That's so, it's, it's so great. Um, you know, and um, we do, but please tell us just quickly before we, we take our first break, what is, what is Raspit? Raspit is a, uh, is a drone center at Mississippi State. And so, you know, I'm hearing some boos, but you know, we, we, we fight them on the field, but we are, uh, with them with respect to drones because we can make, we will make, we already are on the way to making Mississippi the drone capital of the world. Ooh. Well, it's great that we have. Ooh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, <laughs> but no, ooh, that's that's fun to hear. Mississippi's number one in something good. Absolutely, and we're going to make it even better. You can send us an email with your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. So extension for real life. The Extension Service for at uh, Mississippi State University has a YouTube video and a blog called So You Got a Drone. The post will help you to know what you can and can't do with it. We'll have a link to that on our show's webpage. We're talking about drone laws with Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler from the Center of Air and Space Law at the University of Mississippi. And uh, our little clip somewhere out there was inspired for the for all moon kind. We need to take care of it because we're all underneath one moon. Well, this is this is such a, a really informative show, and um, and and so can we talk a little bit about some specific laws and regulations regarding drones in Mississippi? So, please tell us about some of the initiatives the center is involved in with regarding drones. So I'll go first. We're, we're involved in a lot. So um, I just wanted to, because we talked about RASPIT already, one of the most important roles we have at the center um, is we're working with RASPIT. We're also working with Mississippi State um, as part of uh, an FAA Ashore program. So Mississippi State is an FAA um, uh, excellent center of excellence for drone engineering. Um, and uh, Mississippi State actually leads a, a collaboration of more than 30 universities around the country and around the world looking at how to integrate drones safely into our national airspace. Um, and Ole Miss's role is actually going to be, we're the only ones who are focused on the policy and the law with respect to that. And so what we're looking at right now, we have a patchwork of laws around and regulations around the country, which Charles is going to talk about more. Um, but um, what at Mississippi, we're really working to make sure that we 
are able to integrate drones into the national airspace in a way that is safe and efficient and in a way that we can actually enjoy the benefits of those drones. And so, as again, as a state, we are at the core of what's going on in the country with respect to drones. Well, then how does national drone legislation have an impact on Mississippians? I'm happy to jump in there, Richard. The, uh, I mean, it has an impact on everyone in the United States from the perspective of uh, that the, the federal laws are going to be applicable to all drone users. And so um, it, they, those federal laws obviously affect Mississippians as well. Those laws include things like some of our drone users that are listening obviously know about some of those, like the requirement of registration, um, which came into effect a few years ago. And, and so all drones, all drones, whether they're, um, used recreationally or used for business purposes have to be registered. Um, and then there are a whole bunch of safety rules that are, that are involved, um, particularly for commercial use, um, operators under, under what's called part 107, um, have to comply with those safety rules. Um, and so, uh, but one of the things that's coming down the pipeline very soon, uh, in fact, it's going to come into effect in September, is the obligation for drones to broadcast a remote ID. Um, this was a rule the FAA put into place um, in, I believe it's 2020, several years ago, and uh, it's to come into effect in mid-September. Um, and it's a really uh, interesting piece of legislation, or sorry, regulation, because what it does is it actually targets the manufacturers, and it says drone manufacturers you have to incorporate into your drones, if you're going to sell them by a certain date, um, devices that broadcast a signal that can be then inter- um, used to identify the drone from a distance. Um, but it also affects drones that were manufactured before that date. So for those of you out there that own an operated drone um, that does not currently have that um, capability, um, you have to add that capability. You have to buy a beacon or uh, uh, some other device to be added into the drone that will then broadcast a signal and allow for remote ID. And what that um, what that data includes is um, an identification number that all drone drones have to have, plus things like location, altitude, velocity, and things like that. What's important about that about this remote ID though is that it really is going to serve as a pillar for the integration that Michelle was talking about, integration of drones more broadly into the national airspace, large commercial operations, without having the ability to identify the drones, you really can't take that next step toward um, further integration of drones into the national airspace. That seems like helpful. So it's, not, it's like airlines, airplanes have uh, ID that they, they broadcast. So this will put uh, drones in that same kind of um, arena to some, to some extent. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'd say that's a good analogy. So what about foreign drones? I mean, we, we know we, we talked weather balloons have flown over or, you know, maybe spy balloons have flown over the United States from other countries. And what what are the rules for foreign drones flying over our territory? Well, so first, I mean, um, foreign drones are permitted to operate with the United States. Um, again, it, it, the the rules depend on drone. Regardless of that uh, distinction, um, all drones have to comply with the things I mentioned before, the registration requirements, the remote ID requirements. Um, the thing with, uh, and then there are, uh, the, 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 the thing with, um, commercial operators, however, say a com- foreign company wants to come and operate a drone in the United States, the rules there are not, uh, dissimilar to what a big airline has to do. Um, you have to get what's called economic access to the United States market. And so you have to submit an application with the Department of Transportation um, for economic authority, which to operate the drone within the United States. Um, 
which means something called a foreign air carrier permit or at least an exemption to that requirement. And so, um, so to some extent, um, the, the ability of foreign operators to operate drones in the United States is, is not dissimilar to what foreign air carriers like Lufthansa and Air France and those kinds of operators have to deal with. Uh, and so, um, well, I mean, what about, I guess some people might ask, well, what about then the national security concerns about maybe a foreign drone in our airspace? I mean, I, how, how do we deal with that? That's an interesting question. Um, so the uh, what's called, I mean, that national security issues are being addressed by a movement to sort of enhance what's called counter UAS, the ability of authorities to be able to deal with a drone that's doing something that's dangerous or illegal um, or otherwise affecting national security. Um, and there's been a there's a push lately to have uh, more capabilities flow down to um, local uh, police authorities to take care of those things. Currently, I mean, under U.S. statute, uh, it's illegal to shoot down a drone. Um, and that that prohibition pertains also to local law enforcement. Now, f- some federal authorities have been given uh, given the authority under some uh, legislation in two, uh, 2018 to do counter UAS operations, but for the most part, they're the only ones who can do that. So the hands of local authorities are are somewhat tied. I I think there's consensus that's forming around the notion that um, first responders, local operators, police in in states need to have some authority to take some sort of counter UAS action too. And so that's been a a focus of concern over the past couple of years. Um, There's been some legislation that was introduced last year, not necessarily directly on point for that, but for uh, enhancing um, criminal uh, statutes that uh, deal with people perpetrating crimes with drones. And so that's, that's sort of one of the things that's uh, really in the spotlight at the moment. So I have a question, Charles, you mentioned about the, uh, drones needed to be registered. So if I bought a drone from Dollar General or I bought a drone from Northrop Grumman, both of them would, you know, they they have to be uh, registered. And if I have a drone, I need uh, a license. How does that work? Well, so yeah, regardless of whether or not the um uh, the drones used for recreation or commercial use, it has to be registered. Um, and uh, for recreational use, the, uh, the, re- their, the requirements are, um, are less strict than for commercial use, obviously, but there, you still have to do things like um, take a test demonstrating that you can safely operate the drone um, and have that certificate with you when you're operating the drone. Um, so there, there, are, there are similar requirements, yes. And so if, if I got a drone for Christmas last year, but I've been so busy, I haven't been able to unpack it yet, and it doesn't have the transport bonder ID, I need to go get that accessory so that I can use that uh, legally? Yes, come mid-September, you would have to do that. What about other, is there any other related legislation on the horizon that we can expect to see regarding drones? One of the more exciting things that's been proposed recently is uh, uh, an act to try to increase um, the U.S.'s competitiveness for uh, drone operations. Um, and it focuses largely on integration. Um, the uh, And so this is a bi- piece of bipartisan legislation introduced in the Senate by Senators Warner and Thune that has is um, uh, require, would require the FAA to address um, uh 
integration of drones into the national airspace for the purposes of of operations beyond line of sight. So for recreational users, they have to you have to be able to see the drone and be operating it within your line of sight. But for larger operators who want to do things like package delivery and things like that, um, there's a waiver process, and and that waiver process is somewhat cumbersome um, because it's a bespoke process. Um, what this legislation would require is there to be a more uniform process, um, which would allow more actors to come into the space, more drone deliveries, more other activities done with drones on a commercial basis um, beyond line of sight. And so I think that's really exciting. Um, and and hopefully we'll get some more clarity on that soon. It's so interesting. I mean, this is clearly an area that is uh, going to continue to grow. And and, and uh, I'm so happy the center is involved in it, with it. Um, you know, you mentioned package delivery. How, how can UPS or, uh, you know, FedEx fly their drone or Amazon fly their drone over other people's houses to get to my house. Is there any, is there any prohibition against that? Currently? No. And I'm, I, you know, there's uh, this is a huge debate about where national airspace ends and, and local control begins. There's a lot of issues in there. Um, complex constitutional law issues under the doctrine of preemption. Um, I'm happy for Michelle to weigh in on this too and give her thoughts on whether or not she thinks, you know, what what, what the legal ramifications would be for, uh, you know, Amazon to be flying a drone over someone's house for package delivery. Um, currently, there's no prohibition. So, uh, yeah, that's that's about where it stands. I, I agree, Charles. And and the the issue, it does from a we have um, Amazon has created a sort of a local drone zone in in working with local councils. I think there's one in California right now um, where they worked with the local council to make sure it was okay. So right now it's really um, you can do it unless the the your council your community says you cannot. And so this is really one of the interesting things because also the FAA has said. Um, we consider national airspace to go all the way down to the blade of grass, right? And so then when you think about that, and I look out in my backyard and I see my blade of grass and I'm thinking, I don't think the FAA is going to regulate over, you know, under my fence. Like, really? And so this is one of those areas we really have to think about. Whether we've taught, they've been, there's been talk about creating drone highways. Um, and I think this is a really exciting opportunity for Mississippi because, um, we do, we do have vast spaces here, um, where it would be nice to have a drone that could get maybe an organ transplant to a local hospital more quickly than being on the roads. Um, you can go as the crow flies is much faster than being on a road. And when we think about one of the most exciting technical things, technological um, advancements is the idea that uh, a UPS or a um, or a FedEx has a truck driving down the highway and then launches the drones from the truck to get to do that last mile of your package delivery, right? So you're going to save on fuel because you're not doing all those turns or so saving the climate. Um, and wow, how cool is that to see if you're like driving on the highway, you see the FedEx truck in front of you opening up its, its cargo bay and all these drones sort of swarming out. And you know, this is, this is a future that um, will really help the climate and the economy and make everything more efficient, package delivery and so forth. And the laws have not caught up yet. And this is what I did want to say also, in addition, you know, you ask about related legislation. Um, anybody who's listening out there, if you have an opinion, um, you know, reach out to your local representative, reach out to us at LLM at OMIS.edu, and we can talk about what you want to see in those regulations, whether you are uh, just picking up a drone and thinking you're going to start uh, photographing weddings, whether you're going to help out the local power company and look at power lines, whatever it is, you know, the, the 
the law is in a very infant stage right now. And so we really have an opportunity as a community, as people to influence where that goes. So what you're saying is uh, local elections matter. (laughs) And uh, those uh, uh, city, county, and municipal boards that decide things we need good people on those, and we need people to go out and vote for, for good people on those election matters. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings at mpbonline.org slash radio. We're talking about drone laws with our guests, Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler from the Center for Air and Space Law at the University of Mississippi. I don't think we could take a drone to the moon or Mars or Jupiter, but I guess, I don't know, would you, I guess the satellites that we send out, are they considered drones? They're remote piloted? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I just have to I just have to jump in because we have a drone on Mars. It's so phenomenal. Um, we have a drone on Mars that uh, that uh, leaves and does missions from its rover. So yeah, we are, we are human beings are incredible. Been there, done that. Awesome. Hey, I mentioned earlier if you wanted to find out more about drone law, you can find relevant resources on how to use your drone, whether you're a public safety drone operator, a certified remote pilot, model aircraft flyer, or drone racer. Oh my gosh, I I used I haven't seen those on ESPN in a while, but that was something really fun to watch. You go to the website faa.gov slash UAS to find out more about drone law. Well, we are talking about drones, but we can't, there is, there is a topic that I'm sure people are interested in based on, you know, uh, recent events uh, in Congress, and that would be UAPs. And we've heard, you know, they used to be called UFOs, and I think UAPs is probably more, a, a more apt name for them. But so what, what legal jurisdiction do UAPs fall under? So this is a fascinating question because, you know, we, we don't really think about alien things when we go to the, you know, when we, when we make our U.S. or, uh, uh, international global laws. And so there, there isn't. The only thing that we have had in the past is, uh, there was a regulation regarding quarantine of alien materials that returned to Earth. And this was done, um, because of the Apollo missions, right? And, and if you recall, those of us who are old enough, um, when the Apollo 11 and 12 astronauts came back, they were in quarantine, uh, for two weeks and they were in those, those little streamliner, you know, as it turns out, they were not very secure and kind of, um, not, not working very, very well, but it, it made people feel good because we don't know what, and we don't certainly don't want another COVID coming from an alien structure. So there are no laws, and and that is what what's been really interesting to see. Um, and and actually, you know, uh, Charles and I have not talked about this much. So I'd love to hear his his thoughts on this as well. Is um, you know, to me, these hearings that we've seen in July are really, really important. Not so much because, you know, do, 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 you know, what's out there? What are we doing? But much more so because it shows that there's a huge gap in our ability to secure the country, right? Um, we had that balloon incident from China. And so I think, you know, in many ways, we can harness this UAP 
phenomena, if you will, um, to build international community because we ought to be cognizant. Um, I'd like, I, I hope we're not the only uh, sentient beings in the universe, but we ought to be uh, cognizant of what everybody else is doing so that we don't shoot down an alien because we think it's um, a Chinese balloon coming to spy on us. It's, I mean, it, it is fascinating, you know, listening to those, those hearings, you know, you, I, I mean, I, it, it's hard to tell exactly what's going on and I'm not sure we do know. And that, that's exciting and also a little bit terrifying, but you know, there's a place for the law in all this as well. So if we were to capture a vehicle that has capabilities behind it, beyond any vehicle U.S. has, so whether it's, you know, from a, a foreign country or from beyond this planet, can we legally re- reverse engineer that that vehicle? So I'm going to, I'm just, I, of course, I mean, what's going to stop us, you know? Um, and and I, I really, and I want to point out, Richard, something you said during the break, which is just so true. And then there's been a lot of things, you know, if they were so smart and were able to get this stuff to us, you know, why did it crash? And, you know, we crash stuff on other planets and celestial bodies all the time. And this is how we explore. It's really not out of the realm of possibility to think that's how other people explore. And so one thing, you know, people we haven't really looked at or thought about is what probes are we missing that might be amongst us here on earth? It's, it is fascinating. I guess, you know, we, uh, we would have to ask a patent lawyer, whether the, uh, the alien patent applied and would prevent us from uh, reverse engineering, but um, it's, it's doubtful. So, you know, the, the, uh, it's just, uh, it's so, it was so fascinating to see that we are taking a different approach now, instead of saying, Oh, you know, we're not studying that Project Blue Book. You know, we're not studying that anymore to where we are now. At least people are having a little bit more open mind to try to figure out what is going on. And I think, you know, the center has a, a role in all this. And and so, well, what if we, what would be the protocol? You know, let's, let's play what if um, legal protocol. If we captured a vehicle with inhabitants, yeah, what do we do in that case? So if I can jump in there for a moment, I think this connect, this question connects sort of to your first question, which was what jurisdiction would apply, you know, and, and one of the interesting, I think one of the more interesting things for a legal geek like me is that one of the earliest PhD dissertations on law was written by a person who um, called George Robinson, who wanted to figure out what laws would apply if aliens came to earth. And it seems like a crazy idea. And I think originally when they, when the, the folks who were considering whether or not the academics were considering whether or not they let him write that dissertation looked at it, they said, no, this is a, this is too science fiction. This is too out there. And he explained that, well, actually we have this thing called choice of law, wherein if you have interactions from folks from different jurisdictions, we can use choice of law to figure out which laws are going to apply. And so he used that to try to create a framework for figuring out which laws it would apply if aliens were to come. I'm not sure that that's directly on point for this question, which is, I think, on what would happen if we capture an alien vehicle. But it, it, it's, you know, it's interesting to think that even if we don't have laws on the books directly applicable, there might be something that does apply. And and but then if we think about what if you what if um, Charles what if that alien is in your backyard like what you know is it E T did E T did the family that the, the that those young boys who protected E T did you think they violated any laws? Certainly asylum laws. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure. But yeah, the the. When there are no direct laws on point, that doesn't necessarily mean there's not something that isn't relevant in the in in all of our laws and policies. And so uh, it would take canvassing them and trying to figure out, you know, is there anything that might uh, remotely apply? 
It's it's so interesting. You know, what uh, I think people know about Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin because they walked on the moon, but they don't know that much about Michael Collins, who stayed in the command module and, and spent time on the far side of the moon by himself out, out of radio, you know, in radio silence. And and um, his perspective on on Earth changed so much on that trip. And he talked about it and he, and he became an environmentalist, a conservationist, because he said, we've got to preserve this this beautiful dot that we are. And, and, you know, maybe this will help us think a little bit differently as human beings about, you know, our place in the universe as we start to explore, you know, other possibilities. Um, and so maybe it's a good thing to have these conversations uh, and to think about that and think about us as a species, you know, not not just as separate countries and territories, despite our elections, which are important. Um, and that was what how Michael Collins came back anyway from his experience uh, as an astronaut. Well, my um, husband is a big science fiction uh, literature fan. And so much of especially early science fiction, that's where engineering ideas came from because they thought about it. And I, I think just spending the time, that's what philosophers do is you spend time thinking about things. I always prepare for the worst case scenario. If somebody's late, I think, oh, my gosh, what if they're in a ditch or something, not just inconveniently being late. But, you know, thinking about things helps us prepare for it so that if and when the situation ever does arrive, we've thought about A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. And I think that these questions are not out, you know, they're not – there's something that we should continue with. Well, there's no question. I mean, you know, we used to think that uh, if people traveled you know, faster than the speed of sound, disastrous things would happen. And so, you know, we, we continue to develop uh, our science. And I think it's important that socially we keep up. And that's where the law comes in. And that's why, you know, what the center is doing is so important, studying these concepts, you know, the, the things that are already happening, but also things like you know, the drone law that should be in place that's not in place now. So, uh, you know, it's 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 an exciting I, I, I've talked to you all a little bit before the show about how what an exciting time it is to be part of the Center for Air and Space Law. Yeah, if, if I may, Richard, one of the things that we're really, really um, searingly focused on at the center is what we call the democratization of space and access to space. You know, space is for everyone. And I think uh, if you walk out, you know, how many how many people know how many astronauts are on space station right now? How many people know that um, the United States is sending uh, people back to the moon, that China is also sending people to the moon? Not a lot, because a lot of people feel like, oh, that's just out there. It doesn't affect me. And so one of the things that we're working very hard on is making sure not only that you realize that space does affect you, but hey, if you want to go to space or if you want to have, a, a, you know, skin in the game, if you will, in getting to space, you can, you know, no, I, I we're not giving out seats on Blue Origin, New Shepard or Axiom space to um, and they're really expensive and, and sadly on our even very generous professor salaries, we can't afford it. But, um, the fact is that the more billionaires that pay for those tickets, the more that price will come down. And it, it will be in our lifetimes when we have, um, flights into suborbital space, the same way we have flights from Memphis to Atlanta. Um, where we can get on those for very cheap. And so I, I really, you know, to everybody in Mississippi, you know, this is coming. Um, and so if you have ever looked at the moon or into the stars and thought, boy, what, I wonder what it would be like, now's the time to get into it. 
Oh, I love the uh, ISS detector uh, yeah. app to, to see when the space station is going to be flying over my house. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Hey, beginning September 16th, 2023, all drone pilots who are required to register their UAS must operate in accordance with the rule on remote ID. We will have that FAA website on this show's information page. We are talking with Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler from the Center for Air and Space Law at the University of Mississippi, and it's about drone law. We've got a question and our comment. It's Terry on the line, calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Terry, we're so glad you're part of In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Hey, good morning. Great discussion. When I look at the little environment that I live on uh, in my city, I live on a cul-de-sac. 14 houses, and there are probably, I have neighbors that get five or six or seven deliveries a day. And I can't imagine the amount of noise or drone noise over my house at midnight if uh, we're going to continue the drone deliveries. You know, we have um, commercial highways for commercial deliveries. I was wondering what we could establish as drone ways where they have a set uh uh, drone path that they have to follow to uh, make deliveries in a city or, or in a neighborhood. Thanks, Terry. Of course, and that is one thing, again, why it's so important for people at this point in time to get involved. I mean, your community certainly um, will have a very large say in in what goes over your home, um, and it, it is it is federally oriented as well, of course, down to that blade of grass, according to the FAA. Um, but we are looking at the, the nation as a whole, people in the drone industry are looking at creating drone highways just for that reason, um, because there are going to be always there will be people who choose not to have those drones. And so you may live, we might come to a point where uh, you will choose when you, when you buy a house, whether you're in a drone zone so you can get your delivery by drones or whether you're in a no drone zone um, and you've made the conscious decision that you don't want to see those drones over your backyard. But these are the things that we really need community involvement with um, because you don't want them making those decisions about what's going over your house without you. No, I absolutely agree. And, and not only the, the direction or the path that they take, but the hours that they operate. I mean, they, they are very noisy at the technological level right now. And, you know, I don't want to get awoken at 2 o'clock in the morning with five or six drones making delivery to make Amazon happy um, just because I'm in a pathway. Charles, what did you want to say about the topic? That was the sort of, uh, I was going to double down on Michelle's community engagement um, comment, and I think that that's relevant for for the question, which is, so what can local communities and states do about this issue, given that FAA thinks it regulates down to the blade of grass? There is scope for local communities and states to do things, but 
what that rule is that they might want to put into place has to be crafted very carefully not to run in file of, of preemption issues, which is where our center comes in and where our students have come in. They've been done a lot of work already on that issues, identifying the scope that states have and local communities have to put rules into place um, for these types of things. And so, so there is some wiggle room there for uh, you and your community to take some action. Thanks, Charles, for bringing up that topic. Hey, it's election day. This is when you need to uh, go out and vote and vote for in the in pick a primary and decide which one you want to vote in and take a look at the candidates. And if none of them get you excited or you feel speak for you, you know, maybe consider uh, this is your time to serve your community yourself. Yeah, and I think you know Terry's Terry's call is really, really important because Atlanta is different from rural Mississippi too, you know. And I think that's that's why you know at the at the local level, it's really important that that people make decisions about drones because it can be really helpful in in isolated places in the Delta to have a drone delivered, you know, packages where you know busy neighborhood in Atlanta may be a little more uh, annoying. Um, but um, now let's talk about you know we we talk about the law and um, and and yet you also have a, a Great program that you built. Um, it's a certificate program for non-lawyers. So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. The, um, I mean, so this, I think, speaks to what Michelle mentioned on the democratization of space, as well as on local communities, you know, getting involved in, in drone regulation and policy. We've created a, a graduate certificate for non-lawyers that is open to anyone who has a undergraduate degree and has... Um, uh, demonstrate an interest in aerospace activities. And so um, it can be done online. You don't have to come to Oxford, Mississippi, though you are welcome to come and join us in, the, in our beautiful city. Um, but uh, you um, you can, t- the courses can be taken online. You don't have to be a lawyer to take them. And, um, you know, in an era where you can build a, you know, space, for example, used to be strictly in the auspices of governments and satellites were huge. They were size of school buses. Now you can buy a kit online and build one in your garage. It might be expensive, but you could also launch it, right? So, you know, it really is being democratized. And if you want to learn about the rules and regulations and the policies involved, come and take our, our courses through our certificate program. It's a great program. Great idea. And, and you mentioned you have uh, students in the LLM program. Uh, who are lawyers from all over the world, and they uh, some remote, some actually come to Oxford uh, and 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 take classes here. Um, how big is the program going to be this fall? So we um, have, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you know the uh, one of the key um, uh, points of our program is flexibility. So our LLM students, the average age is actually um, in the in the 30s, uh, late 30s, early 40s, because what's really interesting is we have mid-level professionals deciding, oh, wow, I, you know, I've been a lawyer for thir- 20 years. I've been a lawyer for 10 years. I didn't get this in law school and I need it. Um, and so that's really important. And our graduate certificate program is the same thing. It's it's professionals who are doing things and they're looking looking to bring space more fully into their program, recognizing um, drone drones and aviation and space um, can benefit everything that you do. And so we have, so a lot of people, the, the question was how many, a lot of people take our courses part-time. Um, so all in with our, gra- with our graduate certificate students and our LLM students, full-time, part-time, we have about 40 people uh, going through the program right now. Um, and, and we're growing and, and we can take more because one of the beauties and one of the most important things, again, about what you learn 
here at Ole Miss is the diversity of our students. And when I say diversity, I mean, um, yes, we have foreign students. We have, um, we have students who are currently working in the Department of Justice. We have students currently working, um, at FedEx. You know, we have, uh, minds coming in and sharing their ideas. And we don't teach the law. We teach that we tell you how to find the law. We challenge you to think about the law and we challenge you to come up with ways to make it better. And that, that's what we do in Mississippi. You make the laws. You you heard it here. You make the laws. Be sure you go vote. Uh, maybe consider running for things. Thank you so much, Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler. We're so glad that you were able to be on our very informative show on a special birthday day for Michelle. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms. Our team consists of Abram Nanny, who is our uh, podcast producer and our board engineer. Hey, uh, if you have the ISS uh, app, Monday, August 22nd is going to be fabulous viewing in the Jackson area for the space station. For Professor Richard Gerson, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us at 10 a.m. Tuesdays for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.